One of the things that still catches me by surprise, though it shouldn't by now, is when I open the Bible and I find our daily news splashed across the surface of these old stories, if we have the will to see them or ears to hear them. Recently, I overheard a child in Sunday school grumble quietly, but Jesus died 2,000 years ago, which is on one, the one hand expressing an understandable boredom at a subject he would rather not sit through. But on the other, to overly analyze his statement, I think it belies a modern tendency to set these stories in the past and say they were of a different time. It isn't relevant. I can also find Jesus boring and irrelevant, though. Not the Jesus of Scripture, but the Jesus who has been simplified for our modern palates into bland platitudes about love or forgiveness, sugar-coated and sentimental. But open the Bible for more than a minute, and you find a very different Jesus there. Take our gospel today. The folks around him were talking about uh, Galileans, pilgrims who were on their way to sacrifice in Jerusalem. And these Galileans were gruesomely murdered, perhaps while even in the act of that sacrifice. Their blood was mingled with the blood of the animals they brought to the temple, the text reads. Pilate, the governor of the occupation, murdered them. Now, what happened beyond this, we don't really know, uh, other than it's not recorded beyond the Bible. What we do know is that an act like this was historically unnoticeable in the relative scope of Pilate's overall brutality. But the people around Jesus are talking. They're trying to make sense of this tragedy, of what happened. Surely there was something. Their offerings were unsuitable. Surely they had some sin and were unworthy to be offering this. Some reason that this gruesome fate befell them. But Jesus desacralizes the event, takes away the cosmic significance. He says, do you think they were any worse than the rest of us? No. You too will perish in just the same way if you don't repent. Now, a chill descends at his words. What are we supposed to repent from? Now, repenting of sin is almost uniformly understood as that personal sense of having done wrong. You and I come from this Western consciousness that values ourself above all, our individual liberties, personal personality tests, the solitary hero, habit your way, master of your destiny, bootstraps, customizing, accessorizing. This is truth to me, all the primacy of self. We think of sin in this way as well. And I don't know about you, but I can feel bad about who I am. If there are words in this liturgy that I can mean week in and week out, it's that there were things that I have done and about four million things I have left undone. Let me give you a list. But you see, this is everywhere. I know it's not just me. Oftentimes, it's not named as sin. The memes that circulate online featuring light blue backgrounds and sweet hand-illustrated smiling sun saying, you are enough, like some pastel-colored absolution of the sins 
a sense of unworthiness which holds such powerful judgments over you. But I do not think that we are very good at perceiving our sins, our individual sins, when they begin to collect, when they gather, and they take on not a life of their own, but a death of their own. In 2001, I was a sophomore at Skyline High School marching in formation with my snare drum at the Kansas State Fair on the 11th day of September. And we watched the news unfold, huddled under the 4-H tents, the buildings collapsing above the site of the blue ribbon begonias and the soil conservation projects. In the fervor of unquestioning patriotism that swept us away after that event, it's hard to remember that there was a time when it was a question as to what our response would be. Personally, as uh, at the time, as I was both a burgeoning evangelical and a teenager disdainful of authority, I did not know what to think of myself as an American. On the Sunday that followed that event, the pastors responded from the pulpit, as we do. Bill Hybels was the pastor at the time of Willow Creek. You may have heard of it. It's this evangelical, mega-super-corporate-branded stadium church. And a study done of evangelical responses after September 11th, there was exactly one sermon from a megachurch that questioned our tendency to fight violence with violence, that following Jesus might actually demand that we love our enemies, to forgive and pray for them, to ask ourselves the hard questions of our penchant for revenge. And that one was from Bill Hybels. And he rocked the evangelical world the next week, too. He invited an imam to speak from the pulpit, what if we tried to understand our neighbors better? It didn't last. Hybels caved shortly after. His mega, super corporate branded stadium church, decisions like that are bad for business, see? He turned entirely to the easy message of us being God's own special people, stopped asking the hard questions. It is so difficult to face the cross. And these individual responses, these small sins, of hatred against an enemy, pooled, metastasized. They took on a death of their own. We see its bloody wake around the world. The Galileans went to sacrifice in Jerusalem. Or were they New Zealanders from Christchurch? Or were they from Charlottesville? I can't remember. But sacrifice. Now there's an idea we like to leave in the past and say, that was a different time. That is irrelevant. It's something I hear plenty of Christians scoff about. The barbaric idea that the killing of animals would expiate sin or appease the gods. But Abraham Heschel says that the sacrificial system is not so different, after all, from what you and I know. Here's what he says. The sacrificial cult was endowed with supreme political significance. It was the chief requirement for the security of the land and may be regarded as analogous to the cult of military defense in our own day. 
Both have their roots in the concern for security. Cease to appease the gods with offerings on the altars, and their anger will strike you down. Sacrificing is a way of preventing the attack. Think of it this way. I am allergic to poison ivy. But if I know I'm going outside for a hike in the underbrush, I can take these homeopathic poison ivy pills. They contain just a small dose of the poison ivy itself. I take it in, and my body does not react to the oil I come in contact with. It's the same concept. A little bit of holy violence done to an animal, and the worst sort of violence will not visit you. A bit of homeopathic violence in the name of security, the safer you are. What are we to repent of? The sacrificial system is alive and well. But Jesus says, unless you repent of this type of thinking, that it is necessary for a little violence, that promoting one's own welfare over the welfare of others, that your security and well-being have to be bought on the backs of others, you too will perish in this same violence. And it makes me think, what would have happened if one man with the influence over a cornerstone evangelical church had stepped out of the sacrificial system, if he kept at it? What if the desire for ease and security were brought down just a few notches in their worth to us? What if your bitterness and anger over past and present hurts did not dictate your response in the world? What if you could step out, even in a small way, of the cycle of violence against others, against the earth, against the nameless multitudes of people whose misery is a necessary sacrifice for our comfort and leisure? Jesus gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. And while he showed us a way out of our sacrificial thinking, I have to think that stepping out of it ourselves, out of this way of sacrifice, will feel a little bit like death too. But the thing about Christianity is that our central belief is that death becomes life. But strangely enough, the weekly funeral that we hold here turns into a feast every time in a table where there's room enough for us all. Amen.